This is a parable uh, that, that we just heard uh, from Matthew chapter 25. This is a parable, surely it's a parable about the second coming of Jesus. It's a parable about heaven. But more to the point, it's a parable about how we live in the in-between. The arc of the story of Jesus is that he came the first time as a baby, and he came in to usher in the kingdom of grace, and he came in to usher in uh, the, the era of the church, and what better way to usher in a kingdom of grace than coming as a baby? And that's exactly what he did. He ushers in this kingdom of grace, and we believe uh, that someday Jesus is gonna come a second time, that he went to his death, his burial, his resurrection, he ascended to the Father, and someday we as Christians believe that he's going to come a second time, and can I tell you, when he comes the second time, he's not coming as a baby. He's not, as a matter of fact, the book of Revelation says that when he comes, he's gonna come more as a warrior, He's gonna come with fire in his eyes and a sword in his mouth, and he's gonna come uh, as a warrior to destroy Satan and death and disease and sin. He will judge the nations. And those, as we talked about last week, those of us that are clothed in Christ, those that have put our faith into him will be ushered into an eternal city called the New Jerusalem where there will be no death or mourning or crying or pain. The Bible says the old order of things has passed away. Death is the old order. Funerals are the old order. Cancer is the old order. Those things have passed away when Jesus comes to be a warrior. And at that time, the kingdom of God, the vision of God for the earth will find perfection. See, we live in this in-between time. The kingdom is here. Make no mistake about it. The kingdom is here. When Jesus came as a baby, Christmas time, right? When Jesus came as a baby, he ushered in uh, the kingdom. The kingdom is here. But how many of you know it's not perfectly here? Right? It's not perfectly here. Someday it will be made perfect. But for right now, we live in this in-between time. So Jesus tells a story about 10 bridesmaids. And before he does that in Matthew 25, in Matthew 24, he makes a series of statements about his second coming, about his, his return. And before we get to the story, I want to kind of preach through that text in Matthew 24 uh, because it adds context to understanding the parable that was just read for us. And, and let me tell you something. As, whenever you study the second coming of Jesus, whenever you study the afterlife, whenever you study heaven, you have to be careful. Can we just kind of talk for a moment about, let's not go crazy with this stuff, right? And here's what I mean by that, that you can't use this stuff for prediction. The, the, Jesus said one time that no one knows the day or the hour. That actually included Jesus. The, the day or the hour of Jesus' return is in, the mind of the Father of, uh, is in the mind of the Father himself. So here's my point. If Jesus doesn't know when he's returning, Bill from Seattle living in his parents' basement probably doesn't know either. Can we just agree on that, all right? So, so let me put this up on the screen for you. The purpose of Jesus' words when it comes to his second coming is not for prediction, it's for encouragement. And so this sermon, I hope that this sermon encourages you. Uh, it, it's not meant to provoke in us this, oh, let's estimate and try to guess when he's gonna return. It's not meant for prediction, it's meant for encouragement. The second, second thing I would say before we get into the text is that the, whole th the thing that started this uh, sermon by Jesus and, and the parable in Matthew 25 is Jesus is walking by the temple with his disciples. And when he walked by, he kind of gestured to the temple and he says, I'm telling you that there won't be a stone left unturned. The temple is going to be de destroyed. And this, if, and if a lot of people other than the disciples had heard this, it would have been hugely controversial. 
because the temple was the center of Jewish life and, and religion, and the idea of them losing the temple was unthinkable. Well, uh, in AD 70, you know, some 30 years after Jesus, the temple was indeed destroyed. And as words circulated about what Jesus had said these 30 years before about the temple being destroyed, they started to think in their mind, his return must be imminent. He said that one of the signs was the temple was going to be destroyed. His return must be very, very soon. And so in the first century, you can read some of the historians on this. In the first century, there are, uh, there, there's a, a recording of like Christians quit their jobs, when the temple was destroyed, they quit their jobs, they hunkered down, and they started to just wait for the return of Jesus. And that's not the point of this. The words of Jesus are not meant to be used for prediction. They are meant to be used for encouragement. So we don't know when Jesus is going to return. And some of these texts that I'm about to share with you from Matthew 24, you're going to, go, you're going to think, that sounds like right now. And there's going to be a, a temptation to think, oh, he's going to return maybe even later this week or, or whatever. We don't know when he's going to return. The point of this text is what should, we, what should we be doing until he does return? So let me show you. Here's text number one from Matthew 24 leading up to the parable. He says, watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come to, in my name claiming I am the Messiah and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these things are the beginning of birth pains. Jesus said that on earth, in this world, before he returns, there'll be a series of birth pains. Now, I've never given birth to anyone or anything, uh, but I've had a bad headache, and it's pretty much the same I've heard. <laughs> That was so, <laughs> such a joke, right? <laughs> the thing I've heard about giving birth to a baby is that it gets bad before it gets better, right? At some point, you're gonna have this beautiful, fun, smiling baby, uh, but what happens before that is pain and some difficulty. Um, so someday, we're gonna have this perfect world. Jesus is gonna return someday. We're gonna have this perfect world world. And until he comes, there's going to be some birth pains. There's going to be some difficulties. And he gives us the context of what those are. Nation will rise against nation, right? Famines, earthquakes, wars. And I want to talk to you about something just for a minute. Do you think, just kind of think about this for a minute. Do you think that this, this text, that this is today is as bad as this has ever been? that this text is uniquely describing things today. And I, I'm not sure that it is. I'm not sure I believe that's true. I think that it's different than it's ever been before, that the 24-hour news cycle is different, all right? This is one of the first times in history that we've ever had that. Social media is, is different. I was listening to a sports guy that I like, and he was talking about he got back from vacation, and he went to the gym. And a, a guy walked by him as he, as he was getting ready to leave the gym, and the guy said, hey, what do you think about uh, LeBron uh, going to the Lakers? And the sports guy hadn't been near his phone, and he said, well, he thought he was asking for a prediction. He said, I'll give a 50-50 shot. And the guy held up his phone and said, no, it's happened right now. And uh, the sports guy I listened to was kind of blown away by that because that's totally new. The idea of having an alert on your phone that alerts you to every earthquake, every famine, every war, all the time, 24 hours a day, it can start to feel like it's never been this bad before. And the reason that's kind of a dangerous position is Jesus specifically says 
that these texts are not meant to bring us to discouragement. It's the exact opposite. They're meant to encourage us. And I think thinking, man, it's never been this bad before. It is just a recipe for discouragement. And so we've had this going on throughout human history. We've had wars, we've had famines, we have had earthquakes. Um, I I talked to you before about when the Bible was written, they were living under an emperor named Nero, and I'm uncomfortable on the stage even telling you some of the stuff that Nero did. One of the things that he did that I can share is a lot of historians believe that he intentionally burned down his own city so that he could blame the Christians for it and launch um, a worldwide attack against them. So this stuff's been going on uh, for all of human history. But here's what I want you to understand. For all of that time, followers of God and now followers of Jesus have been staying faithful. Right? There's been wars ever since Jesus left and, and before there's been wars. There's been famines, there's been earthquakes and for all of that time, followers of Jesus have been staying faithful. Notice what Jesus says. I love this, put it up on the screen for you. See to it that you are not alarmed. Jesus, see to it that you're not alarmed, right? Have you read the news? Have you been on Facebook? Have you been on Twitter? Are you paying attention at all? Have you seen the wars, the famines, the earthquakes? Jesus, we are freaking out as a people. Why should we not freak out? Jesus says, now see to it that you're not alarmed. These are birth pains. They're birth pains is all they are. And you know, a lot of the women in the room go, oh, all they are is birth pains, I'm gonna murder you after church, right? right? No, he says, don't, don't freak out, they're birth pains. Uh, that there are gonna be these difficult moments, there's gonna be these difficult seasons, there have been before this, there will be after this, there's gonna be difficult times, but out of that, listen, a baby is going to be born. Out, out of that, Jesus is going to return. The kingdom of God is going to be perfected. It's going to be fully here. And Jesus promises us that in that place, there'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. So Jesus says, don't be alarmed. You know that this is going to happen. Don't be alarmed. Stay faithful. Stay faithful. Don't give up. And that's where the text goes on next. He says, then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death, and you will be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, uh, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other, and many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But the one, the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached to the whole world as a testimony to the nations, and then the end will come. So he goes on to say that in the last days, the last days are going to be difficult for Christians, uh, for, for us personally. That, um, and, and I think we don't have a context for this because we live in the United States of America where freedom reigns and we don't, we don't experience persecution. Right? We, we just don't. Uh, but um, about a year ago, Open Doors, a great organization, kind of released a report um, about worldwide persecution. And I think it's important that we spend just, uh, if you'll just give me two or three minutes I wanna share with you some of the highlights of this report. It's about a year old. Uh, I don't expect when they release the next one that it's gonna be any better, but this is uh, the findings and trends of open doors when it comes uh, to worldwide persecution. So here's what it says. I put it on the screen for you. Approximately 215 million Christians, 215 million experience high, very high, or extreme persecution. 
North Korea remains the most dangerous place on earth to be a Christian. That's been for 14 straight years. Islamic extremism remains the global dominant driver of persecution and is responsible for initiating oppression and conflict in 35 out of the 50 countries on the 2017 list. Now, ethnic nationalism is fast becoming a major driver of persecution. All right, and we'll talk about this one just a little bit because I think this, the way they lay this out is a little bit confusing. But while this taken, took an anti-establishment form in the West, in Asia, it took an anti-minorities form fueled by dramatic religious nationalism and government insecurity. It is common and, easy, common and easy for tottering governments to quickly gain support by scapegoating Christians. So here's what they're saying is whenever you have a government that is a little bit shaky, whenever you have a government that's a little bit in, insecure, in a Western mindset, but with, with, uh, in a Western mindset, the temptation of the people is to kind of point to the government and say, you're the problem. And a lot of times they'll kind of blame the government for it. When that doesn't exist, when there's kind of um, a, a higher value, a, a, a different value than we have in the West, what that can look like is um, a persecution against whoever the minority is in the country. So in a lot of countries, this is, these are the Christians. And so the government helps to gain support by blaming Christians and by persecuting them in, in some of these countries that don't have a West mindset. In a Western mindset, when the government totters a little bit, the first thing we think of is blame the government, right? That's not true in these kind of higher honor cultures. That, that's just not true. So in the, these countries, a lot of Christians are being persecuted. The total number of persecution incidents in the fifth, top 50 most dangerous countries increased, revealing that persecution of Christians worldwide is a rising trend. The most violent Pakistan, which rose to number four on the list for a level of violence exceeding even northern Nigeria. The killings of Christians in Nigeria saw an increase of more than 62%. The killing of Christians uh, were more geographically dispersed than the most periods studied, hitting closer to home. So 23 Christian leaders in Mexico and four in Colombia were killed specifically for their faith, Open Door said in a rare event. The worst increase was Mali, which increased... Uh, uh, which moved up the most places on the list from 44 to 32, and Asia is the new center of concern, uh, center for concern, with pers persecution rising sharply. So, like Jesus's words are true, right? He he predicted that this would be the the case, and I would say a couple things um, is one we should not be surprised by this. Jesus predicted that this was coming, and immediately after his ascension and resurrect, his resurrection and ascension, it began to happen even, even then. I think it's going to continue to increase. I think the second reaction we should have is to pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ who are experiencing this persecution in other countries. This is the most persecuted time in human history that we are living in right now. All right, think about that for a minute. The most persecuted time for Christians in all of world history is right now. Um, and then the last thing I would say about a reaction to this is um, please don't make the mistake of believing that we, what we experience in the United States is the same as what they are experiencing. It's insensitive. Right? And, and um, it's, it's just not true. What we experience sometimes in the United States is what I would call opposition. What we're talking about is persecution. And a couple people have asked me through the years if, the, I, if I think in my lifetime if persecution of this nature would ever come to the United States. And um, I'm 42, I had to think about that for a minute, I'm 42, 
Um, and I don't think in my life and in my career, I don't think it's gonna come to what these other countries are experiencing. I think we will continue uh, to face opposition. And so one of the kind of pet theories that I have um, is that I, I think one of the, the, the oppositions that Christians will experience is over the tax code. So one of the things that, Christ, uh, that churches get the benefit of is that we don't, we don't pay taxes. We're tax exempt. And I could see a day in the future where maybe a future government uh, of the United States at some point would say, why should we let the church be tax exempt when they don't preach and teach our values? I could see that happening. But that is opposition. That is not persecution. And that would be difficult for churches, but it's not anything like what people in other countries are facing. So here's what Jesus says, whether it's opposition or persecution, this is just true. It says the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. So here's what Jesus says in short, please don't give up ever. Please don't give up. We, we tend to want to know what persecution or opposition is going to look like in the future. We can't know. But the real point of this text is not prediction, it's encouragement. So make the decision right now that no matter what happens in this country, no matter what happens in my life personally, no matter where kind of the, the future, no matter what the future holds, I am saying right now that with great certainty, I am not going to give up. I am going to stand firm to the end through birth pains and hardship and natural disaster and persecution and difficulty. I am going to stand firm to the end because we know what Jesus says next is true. Let me show you this. So if anyone says to you, there he is out in the wilderness, do not go out or here he is in the inner room, do not believe it. For as lightning that comes from the east is visible even in the west, so it will be with the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever there is a carcass, there the vultures will gather. Huh. Still true today. Right, immediately uh, after the distress of those days, the sun will be darkened and the, moon will give, uh, and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky. The heavenly bodies will be shaken and then will appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And then all the peoples on the earth will mourn uh, when they see the Son of Man coming from the clouds of heaven with great power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call and they will gather his elect from the four winds uh, from... Uh, one end of the heavens to the other. And we stand firm till the end. We stand firm to the end because we know Jesus is great and he will keep his promises. He's addressing this thing that was happening after Jesus' ascension. He knew this was going to happen. Is after his ascension, people would say, hey, Jesus has returned. He's in the wilderness. He's in the desert. Come, come see. And then they'd go out there and it was like a scam artist you know, someone like, you know, selling Amway or something, whatever, you know, um, and, and they'd be lured out. No offense to Amway. I, I love Amway, actually, but scam artists out there. And sometimes they pretend to be like Jesus when he was here on earth. And, but that's not even how Jesus is going to look when he returns. Here's Jesus's point of this is when I return, you're going to know it's me, <laughs> Right? You're going to know, when I return, it's not going to be a mystery. You're going to know it's me. You're going to see me clothed in power and glory. I'm not going to be some uh, buck 25 adult child playing Messiah in the desert. Right? That's not going to be me. You're going to know that it's me. And notice what he says. The whole earth will mourn when they see the Son of God. The whole earth is going to mourn. Have you ever been somewhere and been uh, so overwhelmed by something that you were moved to tears? Years ago, uh, years and years ago, I was in kind of a tough place. I was discouraged. I lacked direction. Didn't know what was next for me. And I was at a campfire in the middle of nowhere, Michigan. 
And uh, we were really out, out in the middle of nowhere and there was no, no city light at all. And I remember there, there was, the only light was a campfire and I was sitting at the campfire and I looked up and I've never seen the stars in the sky so bright before. They were just popping out of the sky. And I was absolutely moved to tears. This is kind of what he's describing in a very small way of what it's gonna be like when Jesus returns. I think as a Christian, we, we will be so blown away by his glory and his majesty and his brilliance that we will mourn. And biblically, mourning sounds like a real bad thing to us in our Western culture. The Bible does not describe mourning as a bad thing. As a matter of fact, Jesus taught, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. That's what happens next in this text is that those that are mourning, those that have put their faith in Jesus, they are gathered together by the angels of God and they receive their eternal life in Jesus. And so this is the teaching right before the parable. Um, the, the, so Jesus, following all of these statements about uh, his second coming, he tells a story, another story about a wedding. And in the first century and in Israel, weddings were a really big deal. Sometimes the celebration would last for a week or more. And all the guys in the room just, you gotta be kidding me, right? A week or more. Um, and uh, every day for a week, there'd be a different event. And the ritual was, was that the groom would walk to the bride's house and he'd get her and then they'd walk together to the groom's house and they'd share a meal. They'd share a celebration. And part of the ritual was that the path from the groom's house to the bride's house, the path would be lighted. And in this story, for whatever reason, the bridegroom took a long time in coming and the path was supposed to be lit, but they fell asleep and half of them didn't bring enough oil. And just before midnight, he still hadn't arrived. And the oil was just about out. And the foolish bridesmaids went, uh, asked if, from the, to the smart bridesmaids if they could borrow some oil. And they said, no, we don't think there's enough to go around. And so they decided to go out and buy oil. And while they were out, the bridegroom showed up and started the party without them. So there's two pieces of advice in this text that I want to share with you when it comes to the second coming of Jesus and how we are to live today. And here's the first one. The first one is live intentionally. Another way to say it in terms of this story is don't fall asleep and bring enough oil, right? Because I don't know about you, but it is easy for me to begin to just react to life. And you can start to feel like a pinball, kind of bouncing through life and just kind of reacting to what's happening. And your, your kids are in crisis and you bounce over here. Uh, your marriage is difficult, in, in a difficult place and you bounce over here. Work isn't going very well, you bounce over here. It's Christmas and I'm so stressed out, I bounce over here. And, and before you know it, you're not thinking intentionally at all. You're just reacting. And it's easy for all of us to get to that uh, space. We can almost find ourselves just sleepwalking through life and just reacting to what's right in front of us. And so you say, what are you talking about? Like with a mission and purpose. I think it's really clear in these parables that Jesus is gonna return someday. And when he returns someday, all death and sorrow and suffering will be done on that day. And until that day comes, until that day comes, here is our mission and purpose from our Savior. We are to be examples of what it is like to live in the kingdom of God. We are to be examples of what it's like to live in the kingdom of God. We are to be inviters to the kingdom, to the people around us, um, to invite them to live in the kingdom. And we are to follow Jesus and to the best of our ability, uh, obey Jesus. And we wanna be on mission. We wanna be on purpose. We wanna be alert and not asleep. And so one of the primary ways that we do this in this text, in this story, is we make sure our light stays on. 
and that we have enough oil to make it to the end. See, here's the deal, guys. This idea of I'm just gonna hunker down and I'm just gonna wait for Jesus' return and I'm gonna do my Bible studies and just kind of think, think, think about myself and think about my family, that idea is not anywhere close to biblical. And it is a misunderstanding of the mission and purpose that Jesus gave us. The mission and purpose is that we wait. We wait for the bridegroom to reappear, but we wait with our lights on and our oil ready. So how many of you know this world needs some light? We are called, as those that are waiting for the bridegroom to appear, we are called to let our light shine, to let his light shine in us and to let his light shine through us. So the hope that we have in Jesus, you let that light shine. When you go to work tomorrow, let that light shine. When you go to school in the fall, let that light shine. When you go to the grocery store, let that light shine. The peace that we have in Jesus, we let that light shine. The joy we have in Jesus, we let that light shine. While we are waiting for him to return, our light shines. And so you, you are not just in a waiting mode. I don't care what your age is. I don't care what your circumstances are. You are not just in a wait mode for Jesus to return. You are on mission, you are on purpose, you are letting your light shine. And then here's the second thing we learn in this story. I'll close with this, is man, be ready, be ready. I talked to you last week about how on the day that Jesus returns, listen, the fact that you're American is not gonna do anything for you on that day. The fact that your family followed Jesus for generations isn't gonna mean anything. Here's what's gonna matter on that day. Have you placed your faith, not your mama's faith, not your daddy's faith, not your grandpa's faith, have you placed your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you clothed in him? That's what it means to be ready. Is he your Lord? Are you following him? He's gonna return someday and that's what it means to be ready. And so yeah, we live on mission if we've already put our faith in Jesus. If we haven't put our faith in Jesus, we start there. We make him our Lord, we make him our savior. We decide that we're gonna follow him. He is our everything. And then by his grace, we are made ready. Right? I've told you this a, a hundred times, but the heart of the gospel is not my effort. Because if the heart of the gospel is my effort, then how do I ever know if I've done enough, if I've been good enough, if I've attended enough church, if I've given enough money, how do I ever know that? You never know that. There's always insecurity. The heart of the gospel is not my effort. The heart of the good news of Jesus is his effort. So I can trust his effort because he's good and perfect and righteous. And so I put my faith in him and he makes me ready and he does that by his grace. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we wanna thank you for your grace. We wanna thank you for your kindness. We wanna thank you that through you, um, we don't need to fear anything in the future. Because of you, we can have this perspective of um, birth pain. We can. Uh, we can have this perspective of mission that until the day you return or until the day that we go to meet you, we're on mission. We're on mission to let our light shine and to let it shine as bright as we can. And man, it seems as though this world could use some light I don't think it's as dark as it's ever been. I, there's been some real dark times in human history. Um, but it seems like people are losing their joy. It seems like people are losing their hope. It seems like people are losing their peace. 
may we in this room let your light shine through us so they can see you and to see your hope and your joy and your peace. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen. We're gonna enter into a time of communion together. This is a celebration of his grace. It's a celebration of his kindness that we can be ready through him for the day that Jesus returns. We can be ready through him. And so we're just gonna celebrate. You'll find two cups stacked on top of each other. One has some bread representing his body given to the cross. The other has some juice representing his blood that he poured out on the cross so that our sins could be forgiven and we could be made right with God in this life and the next. I've talked to you before about the great exchange. This is called the great exchange of Christianity. That the great exchange is I give Jesus all of my sin and he pays for it on the cross and he gives me all of his righteousness so I'm good with God. And that is an incredible deal. All right, you're not gonna find one better, but it's only through Jesus. And so we're gonna celebrate that he made that possible for us. And when communion is passed here, you can hold on to those cups and just kind of thank God for his grace, thank God for his mercy through Jesus. And I'll come back up in just a minute after we're all served and we'll receive it together.